Hello and welcome to this latest special edition of the ST Advisor podcast. I'm David Thorpe, Special Project Editor at ST Advisor. Impact investing has evolved within the ESG ecosystem in recent years as a way for clients to access investments which make a positive contribution to society as a whole. Today, we are looking at how impact investing can help advisors and their clients in future and to think about the next generation of impact investments that may offer attractive opportunities in future. This podcast is part of our Despatches series sponsored by Artemis. Joining me today to discuss the topic are Neil Godden, Fund Manager at Artemis, and Steve Kenny, Commercial Director at Square Mile Consulting. Thank you both for joining me. Neil, we'll, uh, we'll start with you uh, for the first uh, question, I think. Uh, you've been um, an investor in this um, impact investing world uh, for quite some time now. Um, have you, how have you seen it evolve in that time? Yes, thank, thanks for the question, David. Um, in many ways, the financial world and asset management, you know, mirrors society as a whole. 30 odd years ago, there were ESG funds around and um, Steve and myself know some of them very well, um, but they were very bespoke. They were seen as specialists. They were for a small number of clients that were really interested in being green and being, you know, sustainable. And there was clearly always, at least on the top down outside view, a performance drag to invest in that way. Um, And as society has woken up to the fact that there are important issues out there like climate change, biodiversity, you know, poverty that needs solving and and quickly and the financial world can help, the number of funds has grown significantly. And today we find far more options. We find far more evidence that investing with impact doesn't necessarily have to be a performance drag. Um, And that's where we find ourselves today. Cool. Thank you. Um, Steve, How uh, at Square Mile, you, you obviously look at a wide range of uh, products and, and offerings out there. And how have you seen it evolve? Are the, are the offerings in the impact space that are coming on board doing, doing something different? Is there an actual evolution happening? Yeah, I, I would concur with a lot of what Neil has said. Um, we've seen the way people invest begin to change. And it, the speed of which that change will happen, I think, will really accelerate over the next 12 to 18 months. You look at the evolution of investing into the responsible space. Last year, the responsible universe of funds attracted more flows than they've ever done in the history of the Investment Association. The AUM in that particular sector has doubled now. You know, it's that classic story, you know, it's doubling from a very low base. It's now roughly 4% of the total AUM. But it's the speed with which it's growing, which I think is the key point for advisors to recognize. The acceleration of people wanting to invest this way, you know, there was something out from DeFacto a couple of weeks ago. The, The greatest number of new MPS solutions launched in the marketplace in last year was in the responsible space. Now, I don't think MPS providers are launching solutions in that space if there's not client demand. 
So I think it is, there's a huge transition happening. And, you know, one of the stats that struck me last week was the number of asset managers that have now signed up to the net zero 2050 accounts for roughly half the world's investable AUM in the mutual fund sector. So the market will change because the commitment that those asset managers have made will necessitate change in their product proposition. So we're on a journey and it's something, you know, that classic adage, change always takes longer to happen than you expect. And then it happens quicker than you expect because the transition on the change happens very quickly. So I do think we're definitely in a, in, in a space which is building up mo- momentum quite significantly. Thank you, Steve. Um, we'll, we'll stay with you for, for the next question. And um, I know there's a lot of uh, confusion out there among, among clients and, and advisors about the, the almost the alphabet soup of terms that are, that are used in the, the broader uh, ESG uh, ecosystem. But particularly, maybe there's there's some confusion around the difference between impact and sustainable. How, how do you define uh, impact in, in that context? And how do you see it as different to, to what's, yeah. what's out there? And David, I think you know, one of the biggest problems in this space, the, the language lexicon, as you quite rightly describe it. So at Square Mile, we, we seek, we, we've defined what we think are the four key categories responsible investing ethical exclusion which neil touched upon which is probably the bedrock on which this space is being built we've now seen the advent of responsible practices which is about companies trying to advise investment companies identifying securities that operate in the right way and you then come on to sustainable and from square mars perspective we see that as a company that seeks to invest in companies that provide a solution to social and environmental challenges and believes in the long-term financial benefits of doing so. So an example would be investing in a company that makes a product that improves energy efficiency by, say, 30%. That would would be an example of how we'd see sustainable investing. On an impact, we would see that as where the investment company is identifying companies that – want to make a wider positive social or environmental impact, as well as meeting the financial needs for the investment. And wants to see evidence of the social and environmental impact. Again, an example would be a fund investing in companies, addressing healthcare needs, generating renewable energy, and improving energy efficiency. And that reports on its impact in terms of patients cared for, clean energy generated, and resources saved. I think, you know, it, by giving illustrations of the definitions, I think it helps advisors and end clients understand the investment type. Thank you. And um, Neil, you've been a, a fund manager in this ecosystem for, for quite a long time, and you've, you've probably been, been there when these um, new terms uh, get, get introduced uh, into uh, the lexicon, as, as Steve puts it. But how, how do you see uh, impact as as differing from what was there before and, and what else is there now? Um, well, I have one run a sustainable fund and an impact fund. I mean, I largely agree with Steve's terminology. For me, an impact fund is a company, an impact company is one that is having a clear net positive impact. We choose to call, cause that, call that positive sum, but 
with everything it's doing, we want that company to be having a clear positive impact in totality on 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 the world, on an environmental or social issue. Um, whereas in a sustainable sense, you might hold some, you might hold all of the same stocks that an impact fund can, but you might own some extra ones that are not having a net negative impact. So you you want to have a, at least a neutral impact or above in the sustainable area and in the positive impact area, you want to have a net positive impact. I think one point I'd quickly like to make around, I feel like ESG gets a bit of a hard time. You know, there's loads of different flavours of value fund. Some value funds these days own Google. Some are still deep value. There's loads of flavours of income, growth, and there's different flavours of ESG too. I think it's very important. I think because it's a people are passionate about this subject, we get lost a bit and about on what it all means. And we all know there's people who mean it and people who are just after it because they can see the financial advantage of investing that way. And as long as you understand what every manager's doing and the, and the why, how they're doing it and why they're doing it, I think, I think it's fine that there's a bit of variety, a bit of a different flavour around it. And there always will be, you know, and I think that's okay. Thank you. And Neil, do you have maybe one of the ways that would illustrate um an impact uh in investment is, is maybe a stock example or two yeah so i mean one of my favorite companies we own at the moment a company called mips i like it because it's very simple to talk about so you know i always like that so um mips make a piece of plastic for five pounds that goes in a bike helmet motorbike helmet um safety helmets you know any, any type of helmet and what we found out actually that it was really stupid we used to test helmets by dropping a brick on top of a helmet and that was the test to see if it was any good when you went on your bike now if you think about it if you come off your bike how often do you land directly straight down on your head with your legs straight up in the air it's very rare so often as you hit the road you're rotating one way or the other you're hitting a you're hitting something like a unfortunately like a car or a or a um, wall and you very rarely do that directly on top of your head so they've come up with this simple product that helps slow down your brain as you as you hit the ground you hit the car you hit whatever and you know it's been proven to significantly reduce the injury to you as a bike rider significantly reduced the impact that may be given to people around you if you're no longer there or if you're really badly injured in terms of a brain injury. Um, but also, you know, materially reduce healthcare, the pressure on the healthcare system too by reducing costs. So you've got this simple product that's relatively cheap that has multiple impacts on the person riding a bike. Obviously, encourage you know anything that can help people feel safer on a bike too is good because it encourages more people to get on a bike, less people in a car. So there's all sorts of second order impacts there as well. Um, but this is a really simple product. Everyone can understand. They work with all the major manufacturers of helmets to, to get bike helmets produced. Um, it's been growing fast. It's been performing very well. Um, lots to like. And most importantly, it has a clear positive impact. Steve, uh, one of the uh, points that actually Neil touched on, which I'd like to tease out further, is really uh, the idea of whether, as an impact investor, you're, you're really exposed to a, a style bias unintentionally. Are all impact funds, in, in your experience, going to be growth, uh, growth funds and, and value not really at the, at the races? Yeah, I think the, the recent market rotation has caused a lot of people 
to sort of revisit the idea of investing in a responsible fashion because suddenly all the um, growthy stocks have had a bit of a challenge. So I think the question I think is probably, we've had lots of questions of a very similar nature, David, from advisors. Our, def- our, ter- our reply would be, this probably reflects more of their perception about sustainable funds rather than impact funds. Um, it, you know, the, the sustainable funds that have attracted considerable flows have had a growth tilt, and that has been challenged by the recent, recent market um, rotation. I think in terms of impact, the number of true impact funds um, that you could look at, with Niels being the exception, a few and far between. I think what we've started to see is a greater number of fixed income funds coming into the impact space, primarily because it provides a more readily identifiable and measurable metric. So I don't think style bias in terms of impact is as prevalent as it is in sustainable at this moment in time. And that's primarily because the number of impact equity vehicles is still at the nascent level rather than fully blown. But we are seeing a growth in terms of fixed income vehicles in this space simply because it provides more easy metrics in terms of measurability. Thank you for that. And um, Neil, I know I know um Steve's mentioned fixed income, so you're you're getting out the, the cross now and you know trying to banish it as far as as far as you can from you. Um it's obviously a question you've been asked many times before as a as an equity guy. Um is it is it possible to have a, if you wanted to, if you decided it was the right thing to do, to have a more value-based um, portfolio in, in your impact mandate? Or really, is it growth is the only game in town? I mean, I'm not going to be a politician here and not answer your question, but I just quickly would say, in many ways, the, the reflection of what's going on in sustainable ESG impact is a reflection of what's going on in the whole of global equities. The vast majority of global equities funds these days aren't value funds. There's no point pretending they are. And Well, I think I'll, some might be trying to pretend they are now, but that's different, yes. Yeah, that's, that's that fair place, David, and that's a very different matter. Obviously, as you know, we are on the other end of the spectrum away from value. You know, we're at the extreme end. We think the vast majority of our peers are in the large cap, quality growth-ish area and that's not to discredit what they're doing I think that a lot of them are doing an amazing job um, it's it's not a bad thing but that's where most go and that's the same for global equities as a whole um, can you run a impact value fund I think you can yes I think it's very challenging and I think it opens up far more concerns around areas like greenwashing because the way you're going to have to do it most value stocks are mature in nature. So you'd have to have a focus on companies that are wanting to change. You know, it would be the oil companies becoming the renewable companies of the future, that kind of thing. I think there's a place for that. And I think you will see more of that. It obviously opens up more of a risk around do these companies and do these asset managers really mean it? Some will, some won't. That's that's just the way it goes. But I do think it's theoretically possible to run a value or income orientated um, impact fund, yes. Thank you. And Neil, how, how do you, within within what you do and, you know, away, I guess, from any simplistic style uh, debate, how do you think about diversification within an impact um, portfolio? 
look, the, the stereotype is all you guys do is buy wind turbines and you know uh, Tesla and, uh, and and leave it at that. But they're all they're all exposed to a particular uh, trend. How, how do you, how does diversification um, fit into your process? What's wrong with buying wind turbines and <laughs> and Tesla? Um, I mean, it's not for me to say there's anything wrong with any of this. No, I mean, like any style investment, you know, forget. I think what gets in the way of this conversation, I guess, is, um, you know, the fact that lots of people are passionate about. Take take away finance for a second. Lots of people are really passionate about this subject, and that's where it gets dangerous. There are lots of fund managers out there who have a income style, a value style, an impact slash growth style like us. And I think it's very important that as long as they explain what they're doing in a way that everyone knows that their growth value or, you know, quality or um, defensive, whatever bucket it is, that is absolutely fine. And many many clients appreciate that because they want to build those building blocks themselves together. So I think there is a perfectly acceptable argument for saying we buy windmills and Tesla and that's what we do. And when when growth's doing well and when quality's doing well, and most importantly, as we keep transitioning over the next five or ten years towards a, an, an energy transition that has no fossil fuels in it, that is not a bad idea. Yes, they get expensive. Yes, they got extremely expensive in over the period of COVID because of where interest rates were. But that doesn't mean they're expensive in five or ten years. So I don't really have a problem with the style bias, to be honest, other than short term, it can be extremely painful. Um, that said, can you di- can you diversify? Yes, absolutely. You can buy banks that you believe are lending in the right areas of the market. You know, you can buy telecom stocks that are helping people manage the underbanked in Africa. There are lots of options of ways you can play impact without investing in just in Tesla or, you know, Google or TSMC or all these stocks or Austin that everyone seems to own if you believe everyone owns them, which a lot do, you know. So I can understand the attraction of owning good quality companies that have a clear impact but there are plenty of other ways to do it and you don't have to be growth orientated. Thank you. Uh, Steve, at Square Mile, when, when you guys are, are uh, working, with, uh, working with advisors, how, how important does this diversification question come into, uh, come into it and how, how do you think about it in impact investing land? I think the one, there's, there's two things, and one of which Neil touched upon. I think lifting the bonnet of the fund that you buy becomes increasingly important in this space. And, you know, Neil's mentioned it a couple of times. People who are investing in this space currently are very passionate about it. Now, that's because they've been the pioneers and the early movers in this space. The mainstream audience are now entering this space. And their concern about this space is about brand damage. So they're, they're not zealots about the style of investing. They're more worried about recommending XYZ fund and finding out it's got a toxic stock in there and the damage it does to their business in the community. So it's quite you've got a real difference of sort of, sort of, sort of um, criteria for driving the emotion. But the key thing is lift the bonnet. Ensure that what's in there meets your expectation in terms of the style of fund you're 
recommending. And that comes down to the reporting standards of that organisation and that particular fund. I think, you know, as an advisor, you can't not take this area serious because it is an area that the media and the mainstream media, not necessarily yourself, David, but the mainstream media are looking for a group or a fund to hold up and crucify for having the wrong, wrong stuff in it. So it, it, it comes with a serious amount of risk. But in terms of building portfolios, what's dominated the market both in this space and in the general space is global funds of any type, be it global fixed or global equity. So building a diversified portfolio is possible. I think what we're starting to see is the evolution of that space. And, you know, you can see it in Europe where they're probably two or three years ahead of us, where global funds are being really popular. And now you're starting to see regional building blocks in this space become more available because historically they haven't had the presence in this space. So I think building a diversified portfolio is possible, possibly not in the ways that people have done historically using standard funds as an example. They've had to make a compromise in terms of go for regional global building blocks or global funds rather than regional building blocks. Thank you for that, Steve. Um, Neil, what do you think will be the, the next stage of uh, the evolution of impact investing funds, whether that be, you know, the next big idea after, after windmills and Tesla or whether that's something in the regulatory sphere? What, what do you think moves the conversation on? I mean, I almost think impact investing is the, the next big evolution, as Steve's alluded to, to some of the answers to previous questions. There's not that many funds investing with true impact out there. You know, if we think about sort of areas like Article 8 and Article 9, you know, there seems to be a lot of Article 8 funds coming to the market, not loads of Article 9 at the moment. So to me, the main evolution is just more more impact funds coming to the market, more choice, more differentiation about the way people do it. You'll see some really growthy funds. You'll see some focusing more on helping the big companies of today stay the big companies of today. You know, there's lots of different flavours that I think you'll see, which are really exciting. I mean, for us, if someone like Mr. Fink um, can say the next 1,000 unicorns will come in companies that fight climate change, there's pretty big areas there for you to get, you know, your teeth into as an investor. It's pretty exciting. Is he right? I don't know. I don't know whether it's a thousand. I don't know whether it's nine hundred or eight hundred, but it's well over. It's well over half. Let's not debate the exact number, but you know, there's a lot of cash going into companies. There's a lot of government help going into companies that fight these many environmental and social issues. And that makes it a great place to invest. And that means that the asset management, you know, industry being what it is, will will continue to create new funds in this area. And it's a really exciting place to invest. And it's going to see lots of innovation and lots of differentiation and, you know, no doubt more ETFs, more um, thematic funds, and more, you know, more general impact funds too. Um, I think one thing that's going to be really important, and again, it came up earlier, was, is the way you measure impact. You know, both, I say that both as a positive and a potential negative. You know, I do get increasingly concerned. It's a bit like the miles that your EV drives. The reality is very different to um, what, what is said by the, the, uh, 
the manufacturers and I, I worry a bit about that in impact investing you know can you really tell exactly where your million pounds is going you know how much greenhouse gases it's really saving I'm not convinced that we're that precise yet on the way we measure this stuff but yeah the impression is given often in the market that we can precisely measure it so lots to get your teeth into and think about thank you for that Neil um Steve, how do you how do you uh, how do you think about about this? Is it, if impact is the is the new frontier? What's the what's the new frontier plus plus one? I, I would agree with Neil. I think if you look at impact in terms of market share, it's very much at the bottom of the hockey stick. Mm-hmm. It's nascent in terms of development and in terms of ambition. I think that's because there's a lack of understanding in the advisor community as to what impact means, and it builds on your very early question, David, about the definition between the two. I think there's still a high degree of confusion. I think um, the, 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 the point that Neil made about the economics of the situation, everybody thinks about investing responsibly and they think it's about fluffy and nice stuff, but the economics are just unquestionable. You know, the amount of money that's going to have to come into this space to change the world we currently inhabit to the world that we need to inhabit is off the scale. And it's going to make stuff like the industrial revolution, the technology revolution, just look like blips in the ocean. So if you want to invest in a growth area, responsible investing is where you need to go because that's where the money's going to go. You know, and what the governments have all realized is you, the way you change corporate behavior is through the capital markets and you reward companies that behave well and act in a responsible fashion, and you, you cause the market to mark down those that don't. And, you know, we're starting to see that. You know, in, in Europe, we've had the advent, as Neil said, of SFDR, the Sustainable Financial Disclosure Regimes. They came into force in March last year. Since then, 75% of new flows into mutual funds in Europe have gone into either Article 8 which is broadly akin to sustainable, as we've defined today, and Article 9, which is impact. So that's a fundamental change in the investment landscape in Europe. We're now hearing that there are major European institutions that will not see groups who don't have Article 8, Article 9. So complete change. If you you look at UBS, who probably one of the biggest wealth managers in Europe, Their prime option now is you invest sustainably. So you have to opt out of investing sustainably and going into traditional funds, whereas the old way used to be traditional. And then if you mentioned it, you might go into sustainable. So one of the biggest wealth managers in Europe has turned it on its head and said, you're going sustainable now. And if you you don't want that, you've got to opt out. So these are all changes in the investment landscape which will cause asset managers to innovate, as Neil said. I think you'll start to see more product coming into this space and thematics will probably be a very obvious part of that. And when we talk to the asset management community, there is not one of the asset managers we've spoken to in the last 12 months that has not got a product or a suite of product coming into either the sustainable or impact space. And that's positive because it will lead to more choice more choice will lead to more people talking about it, and that will lead to more people investing in it, so that it ends up with a better place. Thank you very much for that, Steve. 
And thank you to Neil Godden, Investment Fund Manager at Artemis, and Steve Kenny, Commercial Director at Square Mile Consulting. Thanks to our sponsor, Artemis, and thank you all for listening. Please do remember to tune in to the next edition of the FT Advisor Podcast, and stay safe. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.